Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you here this morning. Before we jump into the message, I just have a short announcement for you. Uh, If you read the email this week, you might have realized that Pastor Craig was scheduled to give the sermon uh, here today. About 11 days ago, Pastor Craig was diagnosed with COVID-19 and has been uh, fighting that virus for a little while. There's no need for alarm. He's actually doing uh, very well. He just has a nagging cough right now, and he's a little fatigued and thought it'd be best just to stay home. But I wanted to take a moment just to pray for him. Uh, I know that Pastor Craig wants to be here. I don't think he sits real well. And I think that uh, he would rather be here doing things. So let's take a moment just to pray for him, uh, just that he would experience the peace of God's presence, and that God would heal his body. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning. We're grateful for Pastor Craig and for his leadership here in this church. God, as he worships with us here online, we pray, Lord, that you would just give him the peace that comes in your presence here this morning. God, we ask that you would heal and that you would restore his body, that you would remove the symptoms that he's experiencing right now, God, I pray that you would give him rest. Help him just rest and to know you in new ways today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we are in the third week of a series entitled Ordinary Radicals. And we're taking some time to look at some often overlooked people in Scripture. And we're looking at how we can learn from them. How these ordinary people, if you will, in Scripture can teach us. Ordinary people like me maybe ordinary people like you as well. If you have your Bible, and I would encourage you to turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at that again together in a couple of minutes. But while you're there, I want to set a little bit of the context for the scripture this morning. How many of you today have a brother or sister? Raise your hand if you have a sibling at all. That's great. Most people here in this room have a sibling. Um, How many of you who raise your hand would say, though, you've had a little bit maybe of a, a sibling rivalry with your brother or sister? There's like an unspoken or maybe spoken competition between you or your brothers. You know, sometimes these rivalries, Well, they can get quite feisty, can't they? And sometimes these rivalries are just a quiet, unspoken competition between two siblings that are constantly measuring each other up to see who wins that day. I see this in my family from time to time. I have two daughters, and they are often in this unspoken conversation. And one of the ways that it's often expressed is when I ask one of them, hey, will you do this chore? Will you empty the dishwasher for me? And they immediately know somehow how many chores the other sibling has done for that day. And they can literally go, well, my sister hasn't done anything today. Why do I need to do something for the family today? That's one way that maybe a rivalry can be expressed. Now, James, the author of the letter that we're looking at here today, is historically recognized as the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to imagine this for a moment. 
Put yourself in his shoes. You and Jesus share the same mother. But Mary, but his father is God Almighty, and your father is Joseph. You grew up in the same home, and you had the same meals. You get the same life experience, but there's a big difference. Your brother is literally perfect. I mean, he never makes a mistake. He never loses his temper. He never sins at all. I can't imagine anyone in Scripture who would feel more ordinary than James, the half-brother of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Can you imagine when it came to chore time, maybe with this family? I imagine that sometimes Jesus would, would walk up to James and go, James, check this out, my room, dirty, clean, dirty, clean. Good luck with your chores today. I hope that doesn't take you too long to clean your room. Now, I know I'm taking some imaginary liberty when it comes to the, the youth of Jesus. But I think there's a reason. In John chapter 2, when Jesus and his family are at a wedding, and it's turning towards the end of the reception, and they run out of wine, then Mary looks at Jesus rather than James and says, do something about this. She looks at Jesus rather than James and tells the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. He will solve this problem. There must have been something about Jesus that was dramatically different. And James had to know that. And he had to know that he was ordinary compared to him. I imagine that James must have felt like the most ordinary person alive. But today what we're going to see is how that the time that he spent with Jesus made him an ordinary radical. If you have your Bible, we're looking in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 again, and the scripture says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. First principle that I think we see in the text today is this, that ordinary radicals or followers of Jesus, they choose to persevere. They choose to persevere. We see this again and again in Scripture. And it doesn't matter if the example is Deborah or Jabez or James. People who follow Jesus choose to follow Jesus when it is not easy to do so. And that takes perseverance. I first read this passage when I was in high school. And it was one of those verses that just has stuck with me for my entire life. Some people will ask you, what's your life verse? I often say these verses are my life verse because it influenced me so much at an important stage in my life. My dream at that time was to be a basketball player. I was playing on the JV basketball team. The problem was I was just kind of an ordinary player on the JV basketball team. And I had big goals. I wanted to go ahead and play on the varsity team. I wanted to play in college. And I had a dream of playing in the NBA. But I just didn't have the talent or the ability to do so. But these verses taught me that if I persevered, I could achieve some of the things that I wanted to do. And I was able to achieve two out of those three goals. 
I'm still holding hope that the NBA might call out this year, and I am declaring myself eligible for the NBA if anyone would like to pick me up next year. See, James, though, is writing this letter to a church that is struggling with more than a lost dream or even a lost comfort. Some in, this, some in the church during this time are losing their lives simply because they believe in Jesus Christ. And he says that their response should be to consider it pure joy. You know, when it comes to trials or even stressful situations in life, the difficulties that we face, I think we only have three possible responses. One response to trials in our life is anger. And for many of us here today, that might be the most natural response. But James knows that this isn't the best way for our, us to respond, that God wants something better in our lives when we face difficulties. You see, when you face a trial and respond with anger, it's often expressed in rage, which leads to a juvenile, or rather, rather adolescent faith. If I were to take this and put it into an equation, I think it would look like this on the board this morning. That trials plus anger plus rage equals adolescence, or a juvenile response to a difficulty in our lives. You see, the problem with this kind of response to trials is that people don't generally like angry people. I don't know if you've noticed this. When you respond to your trials or difficulties with anger, people tend to scatter away from you. They don't want to be close to you. And if you choose this to be your de facto response, trials will isolate you and keep you from maturing into the person that God has created you to be. James chapter 1, verse 20 says this, anger does not produce righteousness. Friends, we are living in a time where many people's natural response to the frustrations of our day is anger. We have many triggers and opportunities to be frustrated, and I don't know if you've noticed this over the last year or couple of years, it seems like even the little frustrations, driving down the road, waiting your turn at a restaurant, whatever it is, gets a disproportionate amount of anger today. As ordinary radicals, God calls us to live different. He calls us to live different. Another response to trials often is fear. When some face a trial or difficult situation, maybe their natural response is not anger, but to run away, to get away from that situation as quickly as they possibly can. And the problem with this response is even though it may appear immediately to be more godly because you're not blowing up in anger, it also, it also doesn't allow us to grow into the person that God has created us to be. If I were to write an equation for this, it would look like this. A trial plus fear plus running away equals a childlike faith. Because there are often times when God wants us to stand in the midst of difficult circumstances in life. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Scripture says this, For the Spirit God gave us did not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Friends, when difficult times come upon us, God does not want us to run away 
or to explode in anger. And if we want to grow into the people that he's created us to be, we need to learn to how to handle these trials and difficulties in our lives in a way that allows us to mature, in a way that allows us to grow. The best response to trials or challenges in our life is joy. It's joy. Now, friends, this is certainly a radical way to respond to difficulties. I mean, who has the natural response of when something difficult happens in their lives? They just think, whoopee, joy. I feel good in this moment. But the word that James uses for joy simply can be translated as inner calmness or calm delight. I like those words, calm delight. I mean, how many of us could use a little bit more calm delight in our lives today? James is using an accounting term when he writes this, this passage, when he says, consider it. He literally says, put that in the bank. It's like depositing something into your bank account. So he says, when a trial happens, our first inclination, we should consider it pure joy. Literally, put it in the bank. We need to think joy in those moments. When we do this, and when we persevere, Scripture says that it works on our souls. I love how James says it. Let that finish its work. When we consider joy and persevere in our relationship with God, it's like a fine wine that ferments, ferments over time and changes you. When we do this again and again, it grows us. If I were to draw an equation for this, it would look like this. Trial plus joy plus perseverance equals maturity. I encourage you to, to write that down. It's something that I've tried to remember ever since I was in high school the first time I read this passage. And all of us might know someone who lives like this. I have a, a friend of mine. She was a servant at my the church I used to serve at, her name is Barb. And when I think of someone who is mature, spiritually and physically, Barb is someone that comes to mind. Barb's a, a little older than me. She's a grandmother. And uh, we have different interests. She likes to quilt. I like sports. Um, but whenever I'm around Barb, I am always struck by her spiritual maturity. And I know that that didn't come easy in our life. Barb had lost both of her sons in a battle to cancer, two sons to cancer. And I watched, was there personally when she grieved the loss of her second son. She continued to pursue Jesus and grow closer to Jesus even in this difficult time, this trial that she was facing that was excruciating in nature. She is someone, whenever I see, I'm reminded by her maturity. And Barb is one of those ladies that when she pulls me aside and says something, I listen. I listen. And sometimes she knows my wife and she'll be like, hey, Pastor Mike, I think you need to help out at home a little bit more with the chores. Just a suggestion for you. And I know that that comes from a place of maturity and great wisdom. So what does this mean for our lives today? I have a few suggestions for you to consider this morning. The first suggestion is this. 
When it comes to trials in our lives, don't be surprised when you face trials. Don't be surprised. You know, one of the things that's interesting about living where we live at this particular time is that all too often, I count the blessings that I experience every day as just normal. I mean, my belly will be filled with food today. It's a blessing. I just see it as normal. I have a roof over my head and heat on a cold day. That's just normal. I have air conditioning when it's too hot. I see that just as normal. A car to drive where I want to go. Schools for my children. The challenge for us is that we live in such a blessed state of life that sometimes when we face a trial, it can shock us because living in a blessed life becomes normal for us. And sometimes we miss the fact that every day that we have on this earth, we live by the grace of God and we live in a blessed way. So when we face trials, don't be surprised. Sometimes, uh, I am ashamed to say, it takes me by surprise and it takes me a few moments just to get over the fact that I'm experiencing trial, whether that's someone cutting me off on the road or me not getting something that I want exactly when I want. Don't be surprised when you face a trial or difficulty in your life. Jesus once wrote these words in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said that in this world, friends, we will have trouble, but he will be with us. And we could trust him and the fact that he has overcome everything that we will experience. Paul once described the Christian journey like this when he said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Friends, listen to that. That was his journey in following Jesus Christ. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. A few months ago, I was wrestling with this season of life that we're in. This has not been, as far as my colleagues, my conversations with them, the last two years hasn't been my favorite season of ministry. It's been difficult leading a church and figuring out the right things to do as a shepherd of people during a global pandemic. Very difficult. And I remember I was wrestling with this and I came across this passage and as I began to look at it, I began to think, I think the Holy Spirit gave me this thought. He said, I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings. I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me that day, Mike, that's part of the journey. That's part of the journey. When we follow Jesus Christ, participating in his sufferings is part of the journey, and we shouldn't be surprised. 
The second suggestion that I have for you this morning is that you don't have to face these seasons alone. You know, for some of us, when we're in a difficult season of life, it feels weak. And we don't like to express weakness or need to any other person. And so our natural tendency is to pull back, is to retreat, me to isolate ourselves from other people. But this is exactly what the church is for. We're here to support each other through these seasons of our lives, even when we're in great pain. The God is Good moment this morning was a great reminder of that with a widow's dinner, where a group of individuals, ladies, got together and supported each other, even in the midst of their pain. I have two close friends right now that are widowers, and they're going through this pain, and I know that what they need more than anything else is just to connect and to be together and someone to sit next to them and be with them. If you are in a trial or a difficulty right now and you need a connection, let us know. We will connect you to a group of people that will support you, that will reach out to you, and that will care for you. Just indicate it on the communicator card that's in front of you, and we will get you connected this week. You don't have to face this season alone. The third suggestion I have for us today is to see pain of others as our calling card. The pain of others is our calling card. You know, sometimes when you see the pain of others, it's, it's ugly. It's not pretty. It's not something that you want to step into. When a friend's marriage falls apart or someone goes through a loss of a job, and sometimes our natural instinct is to step back from that situation. But as followers of Jesus and as ordinary radicals, God calls us to step into those moments, to listen for pain, to hear it in your office when a coworker is complaining about their work that they're doing and maybe the project of being overwhelmed by balancing their work and their family. It's our calling card, friend, when we hear pain and frustrations. It's where we can enter in and where Jesus can shine. Many of my best relationships have been galvanized through excruciating seasons of pain. Where friends didn't leave me, or where I did not leave them, even when it was terribly uncomfortable. This week, I had a, a conversation with a good friend of mine. His name is Kevin. And Kevin was my first boss in ministry 25 years ago. I was just out of college and was doing seminary. I was a hard-charging 22-year-old that was going to change the world. And he groomed me, and I needed it badly. I needed someone who would be patient with me, who would pick me up when I failed or when I skinned my knees. I like to say that there are times in that stage of life where I would run through a wall for Jesus, and then Kevin would point at the fact that there was a door right there that I could have walked through. And he helped me understand how to walk with a little bit more grace and how to lead a little bit more gently. Kevin's 10 years older than me. And so he's been a natural mentor for me. When I was single, I watched him and his marriage and how he interacted with his wife, Jane, and it taught me how to be a husband. When we were pregnant, I watched how he was a father to his kids. 
and it taught me how to be a father. Sometimes just the littlest things he said, just in passing, made life-impacting marks on my life. Well, last month, Kevin taught me through an extremely difficult season of his life. He lost his wife, Jane, after a two-year battle with cancer. And I watched him. I watched as he sacrificed his time and his energy to be a full-time caretaker to his dying wife. We would talk often over the phone, and over the last few months, we talked less because he wanted to dedicate every waking moment that he possibly had to just being with her. I texted him during the funeral, called him a couple days later when I knew all of his family had left and we connected. And this week, uh, about 11 o'clock at night, I think on Tuesday evening, the girls went to bed and my wife went to bed. And for some reason, Kevin just came to my mind. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I'm going to give Kevin a call. It's 11, 11, 10 at night, a little late. I wonder what he's doing. Sure enough, Kevin picked up, and I said, what are you doing? He's like, sitting at home, alone, watching baseball highlights. I'm like, want to talk? He said, yeah, I'd love to talk. And we talked about our kids. We talked about this ministry. We talked about life and future plans. We talked about what God was teaching him through this season of life. We laughed about some of the things that we did when we were college pastors 25 years ago. And we stayed on the phone till about 12.45 in the morning because he just needed someone to be there. Friends, the pain of others is our calling card. And ordinary radicals, when they see this, don't turn away, but rather run into it. Who in your life is experiencing pain right now? Is there a coworker that's experiencing pain at home or overwhelmed by the work that they're doing? Is there a neighbor down the street that's having trouble with their children or just can't seem to make it through the day? Where has God placed you? And who has he placed in your life to reach out to? Friends, we should not be surprised when we face trials. Jesus said that we will have trouble. We don't need to face these trials alone. And we need to learn to see pain as our calling card whenever we face it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning and for the example of James that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for the presence that you give us, even in those moments of life where we're experiencing difficulty or we don't feel that you are near. God, I pray that we would be a people that learn to respond to the trials that we face in our lives with joy. God, I pray that we would not respond with anger or fear, but with the calm delight of joy that comes in your presence. Pray that you would make us people that persevere through these seasons of life as you grow us to followers of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.